Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. Partly cloudy skies. Welcome to this Thursday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment, COVID-19, yes, affecting every aspect of college life, and that includes religious life. I'll speak with faith leaders and students. Muslims, like, stand close to each other, like, Mm -hmm no gaps in between, but because of this, we maintain like a six feet gap and everyone had to wear their masks, of course. Our work is intrinsically like high touch, you know. I think there's a part of us that's kind of operating from a space of yearning and longing to make those connections. And so we're trying our best to utilize the technology to do that. Those conversations coming up in just a moment. Now on to Hurricane Laura bringing flash floods and high wind speeds to the Gulf Coast. Earlier today, the National Hurricane Center released a statement warning of, quote, a life-threatening storm surge with large and destructive waves. Now, the first death from the storm was confirmed earlier today by Louisiana Governor John Bell Edwards. It was a 14-year-old girl who died when a tree fell on her home. And some Georgia power crews headed to Baton Rouge, Louisiana earlier today. They headed for Baton Rouge around 6 a.m., and that's also around the time the powerful Category 4 storm reached the coast of Louisiana. Now, since then, the storm has been downgraded to a Category 2, but the storm still has wind speeds of up to 150 miles per hour. And from one crisis to another, the State Department of Public Health reports there are 260,590 confirmed coronavirus cases here in Georgia. There are 23,939 hospitalizations, and we know of those, 4,360 are ICU admissions. In terms of Georgians who have died due to the virus, is reported at 5,311. This is all according to the Georgia Department of Public Health. And now to this. The past four months have shed a light on the ongoing racial injustices facing our African-American community. Citizens around the country have used their voices and platforms to speak out against these wrongdoings. Over the last few days in our home state of Wisconsin, we've seen the horrendous video of Jacob Blake being shot in the back seven times by a police officer in Kenosha and the additional shooting of protesters. Despite the overwhelming plea for change, there has been no action So our focus today cannot be on basketball. That's Sterling Brown from the Milwaukee Bucks. Well, the team was supposed to play game five of a first-round playoff series against the Orlando Magic. That didn't happen. Also last night, the Atlanta Dream scheduled to play the Washington Mystics. That didn't happen. Joining in solidarity with the Bucks. And also, another Atlanta's professional teams did not play a scheduled match. Solidarity from both sets of players. Suggesting it is a decision that they have making, they have taken, and that they are all united in their decision not to play this game. Remarkable scenes. 
The Atlanta United was to play Miami. Players wearing Black Lives Matter t-shirts. And tennis champion Naomi Osaka had a semifinals match today, but cited on Twitter, quote, before I am an athlete, I'm a black woman. And as a black woman, I feel as though there are much more important matters at hand that meet immediate attention rather than watching me play tennis, close quote. And from the NFL, the Colts, the Jets, and the Washington teams not practicing today. It's not clear if games and matches scheduled for tonight will take place, but it is clear these athletes are taking a stand. Joining me now to add more perspective from Jersey Girl Sports is sports business and marketing journalist Marcel English. Thank you for having me. What do you make of the athletes not playing last night? I was so excited to hear about their stance and what they were doing and their participation in what is going on right now in this country. Years ago, Colin Kaepernick kind of started this, didn't get the support that he was looking for. But now I think with so many of these injustices happening back to the back, not to say that they weren't happening before, um, but players are using their platform as figures, as icons, as LeBron James. They're taking a stand for what's happening and it's causing people to look. Working with brands who are uh, multi-billion dollar companies and athletic teams and athletes who are now speaking out against this, it is an opportunity to make some, as John Lewis would say, start some good trouble Mm -hmm. to bring some attention to what is happening and make change. Also, the Washington Mystics last night, as they walked out with T-shirts, they had letters on their shirt that spelled Jacob Blake. And on the back of those shirts, seven would appear to be holes, seven bullet holes. Mm-hmm. Powerful yeah. statement there. Kenny Smith, longtime analyst, basketball analyst, of course, former NBA. Kenny Smith walked off the set of TNT saying, you know, right now as a former player, I stand with the players and I just can't be here right now. This is an opportunity for sports to to get it right, to stand up and say what's on their mind and speak about these injustices that are going on. And one of the things I'm happy to see, it's not just African-American players, it's white players, it's British players, it's it's players who are seeing that this is this is an injustice that is going across this country. Um, and so they're not, and so you're not just, you know, seeing the black players. Um, you know, I was listening to a press con- to the press conference from the Detroit Lions mm-hmm. um, and their quarterback, who is a white quarterback, got up and said, you know, we can't just go out there and run drills and run routes. These are conversations that we need to have um, and have these conversations, not just with us, but with all of the players of the team. Um, and here's an opportunity for African-American players to talk to their white players um, and their white counterparts and colleagues within the teams, um, no matter what league it is, and talk to them about allyship. Mm -hmm. How can they be an ally in their fight and quest to bring some attention to what is going on? Let me ask you this, Marcel, because I've heard folks say, and I think Charles Barkley and and Shaquille O'Neal alluded to this last night, so what's the plan? And someone listening says, well, what's the plan here? So is the, the plan then the owners of these teams, the the league commissioners, who may have better at, a better relationship with legislation or may have right. a better relationship with even the president of the United States, 
Right. Is the plan then to hopefully get some legislation, get some policy changes? Is that part of it, you think? It's got to be a part of it. As the saying go, if you if you don't plan, you plan to fail. There's got to be an ask here. And that is the that is one of the, the biggest things. What is the ask? And I agree with that. Are you um, using your your power and your network to help make some change? Are you using your power and your network to bring additional dollars to organizations that need it to help promote the message? You know, while I do see the boycotts that are going on, the conversations, the conversations um, of allyship, the the speaking out, the interviews. But what is the ask at the end of the day? I agree with that. And there's something else we should note because these matches, these games being played without fans, there's a financial aspect to this as well. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on if we weren't in this pandemic as well, because if there are no games, fans don't come to the games. They're not spending money, obviously, from parking to the foam fingers, we're number one and all of that. Do you think the leagues would still be as supportive of this action if we weren't in this pandemic? I think um, the pandemic has, um, and I hate to say it this way, has helped the cause um, to bring light and bring attention to what is going on. I think, unfortunately, with, with George Floyd, everybody was at home. There was, they're watching the news to see information on the coronavirus and what is going on in their particular state. But then here is this video of this African-American man being held down under the knee of a cop. And then we see the video, see in the video, see in the video, see him die. And I think that was a lot of what has brought attention and brought light to what is going on because people were at home. Um, And I think that is still the case. A lot of people are working from home. So their opportunity to be engaged with media, uh, whether it's television or podcast or radio, whatever it is, um, you know, is greater because they're at home. There are not many places they can go to escape. If this does somehow trickle down to the collegiate level, maybe even high school level? College sports is is such an entity of its own, Um, especially when you look at college football and basketball. Um, Some of these colleges bring in more money than NFL teams. And because there are so many different layers of where the dollars are coming from, uh, whether it's a sponsors or boosters and things like that, alumni. But I I think it's going to happen. You know, these young men and women are just as passionate as our professional players. And I definitely think it's going to happen. I remember we, when I was on your show and we talked about Missouri a couple mm-hmm. of years ago, I went to, to Purdue and, you know, looking at these players when Drew Brees, who is their superstar from our school, mm-hmm. you know, came out and spoke about players not to it's a disgrace if you don't stand for the flag. And then we saw the Purdue players still taking a knee, you know, going against what their famed alumni said. I think these players are just as passionate as our professional players. And it's definitely going to trickle down. College sports right now is already, it's already hemorrhaging money. It's already um, at a standstill of really not knowing what's going on. When we have major 
groups that are saying I'm not going to Big Ten and um, the the 12 saying that they're not going to play, and then you have the SEC and the ACC that are playing. Um, you know, you have there's still going to be opportunities. There's still going to be situations where these college players are going to say, No, I'm not doing this. Mm-hmm. And we should note, too, that Drew Brees later said, you know, he made a mistake that he wasn't understanding the full extent of what his black teammates were talking about and, and fellow players in the NFL. So um, that was something to watch there. Which I just have to sigh at. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, I, I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. But this conversation is not new. It's something that is not new. Um, Drew has been in the league for so many years. You have played with so many African-American players. You are revered as one of the top quarterbacks in the league. You know, and you know, those are the types of comments that make it harder for the message to be heard when you have a player um, like a Drew Brees, and, and there are others, um, so I don't want to just single him out. Mm-hmm. There are others who know, and then they still make the comments that they make. And then because it has become a media or marketing or PR nightmare for them and their quote unquote brand, then they want to retract. As a PR professional, that's what I get paid to do. I come in and I clean up your mess. Let me ask you this. Does Colin Kaepernick get signed for the upcoming season? No, I, I don't see it happening. Um, they may, somebody may sign him um, because it's a, it's a good look, um, but you're not, you're signing him for that reason. You're signing him for, for the PR of it at the moment um, because of, because you as, as a scout or as a team owner, or as a team president feel as though it is the trend for the moment um, and it's a good look for your team. Um, but if Colin Kaepernick does get signed, um, you know, what kind of player is he going to be on the field? Um, I mean, he he was a decent player when he was playing. Anybody can throw and run routes when you're when it's just you and a wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be interested to see. But the thing about it is, has Colin come out and said that he wants to be signed? That he wants to come back into the NFL? It's been four years. Um, there have been so many mismanaged opportunities. Yeah. It's been almost four years to this week that he first took the knee. I would be interested. You know, we saw Roger Goodell do an about face earlier this year. Um, And, you know, I would love to see what the NFL is going to do. You know, right now, since the NFL is just uh, in drills and in practice, you know, we see them just saying that we're not going to have practices. But uh, is the NFL and are the NFL players willing to boycott games and not play, not take the field? Is that the price that you're willing to pay? Because you weren't willing to pay that a couple of years ago. Has the currency on your character changed within those few years? And are you finally seeing what you need to do as a player and as a role model to a lot of people? We shall see. From Jersey Girl Sports Business and Marketing Journalist, Marcel English, as always, good conversation. Thanks for taking the time. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. 
Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. The college experience beyond the lecture halls, labs, and the library, you know, it means something different for every student. For some, it's the Saturday football games or orchestra or Model UN. For others, it could be spending long hours in the library or sometimes commuting while juggling work and school at the same time. It's different for every person. And now with COVID-19, which has affected every corner of campus, everybody's affected. And that includes religious life and our faith-based organizations. Now, today's special edition of Closer Look, we're talking to faith leaders and students at institutions of higher learning throughout the region. And we're going to begin with the Reverend Dr. Nichelle Guidry. She's Dean of Sisters Chapel and Director of the Wisdom Center at Spelman College. Thank you so much for taking time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Rose. It's great to be back with you. You know, Spelman College, like so many institutions of higher ed, they've all, they've shifted to online instruction. Let me ask you this. Let's begin here. What's this transition been like for you? Um, I think it's it's been, it's been a transition of having to sort of feel our way through it. Um, I think we're still sort of trying to live and work and do ministry in the shock of all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we continue to use this language of unprecedented times and it is unprecedented for our generation. We've, we haven't had to, to try to um, live and work as if nothing, as if, you know, multiple pandemics aren't happening at the same time. Mm. And so um, this transition has been a day-to-day journey of, of trial and error of seeing what works and seeing what doesn't work. Um, a trial and error and a journey of, of faith. I mean, I, I think um, as a faith leader, I, I feel I have to be really liberal with that language right yeah. now um, of kind of living in such a time of uncertainty and so much grief and so much turmoil um, and fear and frustration and rage. Um, if it wasn't for for faith, for my faith and for the lineage of faith that I and others tap into on a daily basis, I don't know how our work would carry on. Um, mm-hmm. Faith is, is believing that despite circumstances, um, and despite the the finality, the, the finitude, I guess the fine, um, the limitedness of our own strength and our own resources, we have a higher source that we can go to, hmm. and um, that has really been carrying me through this period. You know, for our listeners who are not familiar with the Wisdom Center, it's a very important space, figuratively and literally, for the Spelman community. Sure. So the Wisdom Center was founded uh, by my direct predecessor, Reverend Dr. Lisa Diane Rhodes, who was the Dean of Chapel and Director of the Wisdom Center at Spelman for 16 years um, before I took that position in 2018. The Wisdom wisdom is actually an acronym. It Mm -hmm. stands for Women in Spiritual Discernment of Ministry. 
And in the center, we define ministry very broadly. So we, we do have students in our center that um, may have identified a calling to do traditional ministry in a church, but we also have women who have, and, 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 and students who, who see their work in education, their work in law, their work in medicine as a divine call. And we want to um, nurture that sense of um, calling, that sense of, of passion, that sense of curiosity and inquiry um, for, for all the students who come through. Um, the prayer and the hope for the Wisdom Center is that it is a soft space mm-hmm. on campus, a soft and tender space for all of our students. Um, we, we sit in, in a beloved dorm on Spelman's campus, um, which was the, the, the site of uh, the di- a different world was recorded in, mm-hmm. our, in our hall. And so there's a, there's a nostalgia and a familiarity for a lot of our students. And when you walk in, we are very intentional to create an ambiance and an atmosphere of, of compassion and grace and tenderness and extra extravagant welcome. Um, and so what we're, we have our work cut out for us to recreate that mm-hmm. virtually, um, you know, starting in the middle of last semester. Um, and so we're, we're kind of thinking through what is the significance of things like, you know, materiality, like music and, mm-hmm. and like bringing a candle to, 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 to class and hosting ourselves and empowering our students to host yourself create that same space in your home because you need it and you deserve it as well. And that's an act of compassion that we can do for ourselves. And so that's what we do there. Well, that was my next question. How, how is that challenging? Obviously, because you want to be able to recreate that space. So much energy is brought into that space when the students mm-hmm. come in and vice exactly. versa. So you, now you're having to shift. And also mm-hmm. let's be really clear too, uh, Dr. Guidry, with everything happening in our nation, the pandemic, the protests, politics, mm-hmm. being able, having a space for students. And we're talking about obviously majority black students, black women, mm-hmm. young women, being able to have this space for them during this time. It's not going to happen as you normally would have liked it to now because there's, they're not on campus. That's true. And so I do think that a large part of our work is um, having virtual opportunities for um, our students to hold space with us. I I do not do my work alone on Uh campus. I have a team of two other women who who make sure that the ministry continues to go on. And together, all three of us, um, you know, from from Sunday to Sunday, we Uh create multiple opportunities Um, for our students to feel our touch. Um, I think that it's very, uh, it's so so difficult for for me because our work is intrinsically like high touch, you know? And so I think there's a part of of us that's kind of operating from a space of yearning and longing to make those connections. And so we're trying our best to utilize the technology to do that. so we have chapel that's starting the first Sunday of September, these virtual services. Um, every Monday they get a newsletter from us in their inbox. 
Um, we have um, bi-monthly lunch and learns where we are trying to teach them strategies for staying spiritually well mm-hmm. in the midst of the three P's, the pandemic, the politics, the protest, and having to carry on their academic life. And um, we all keep virtual office hours just in case anyone needs pastoral care, counseling, prayer, just or just a listening ear presence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think it's important to our work that we establish and maintain a rhythm, a sacred rhythm of showing up in our students' lives, even if it is via technology. I want to focus on faith in this current moment that we're all in. And I read a piece from the American Psychological Association, which was really titled Faith in a Time of Crisis. And it talked about that research was showing why some people can find peace during this COVID-19 pandemic and while others may be struggling with their faith. So when you hear that, you believe there's truth in that statement? Um. I think that there is truth in that statement. And I think that faith um, necessarily requires a different perspective on, on our lived experiences and realities. Mm-hmm. Um, faith allows you to kind of look and to see, um, but faith also, you know, kind of bars you from becoming too intoxicated. And for me, I this is where my my history, my heritage, my lineage as a black woman becomes all the more critical to my identity and my practice of my faith. I uh, I think all the time about the struggles of my ancestors, my foremothers and forefathers, all the people who went before us, the people that we know collectively, the people we share as ancestors, and even in my own bloodline, mm-hmm. um, I think about the kinds of things that they lived through. And part of my faith practice is is speaking to them um, <laughs> and asking, you know, whatever it was that that you had, whatever fortitude that you had, please send some to your child. Mm-hmm. Um, and allow me to be a vessel of that strength to somebody else. Um, I do think that African-American faith, um, the history of our faith, and the practice of, of Black liberation theology mm-hmm. um, is something that looks in the face of, this, of these sort of um, uprisings and sees God's hands at work because there's been a reckoning brewing for a long time, Rose. And a part of what's having, what has to happen is there has to be, there has to be a reckoning. (laughs) And so um, our our faith as African-Americans, it not only enables us to persevere and to live through it, but it emboldens us to to show up and participate in it. Um, We want to be able to, to tell our children and our grandchildren what we did. Mm-hmm. That's what we call a testifying. We want to be able to testify mm-hmm. that this is how we showed up and this is how God moved. And sometimes you, uh, you got to live to get to the testimony. <laughs> will you, is this message, is this a message that you will relay or maybe have already relayed to some of the, some of the Spelman students or community that, if they sought you all out during this time, 
in order to deal with and what we some will say the trauma of these three P's, the pandemic, the protest, the politics. Have you had these conversations already? Absolutely. And I think that um, it's a gift to me to do ministry in a space like Spelman, where our history and our traditions are extremely important to us. Um, For example, in April, we had virtual Founders Day. And the beautiful thing about Founders Day is that it is um, an annual opportunity to come together as a community. And, uh, and, and this is a global community. Every Founders Day, you will find Spelman College, Happy Founders Day trending on Twitter from all over the world. It is a time for us to come together to look back and to assess what is the way forward in light of where we have been. And that is a holy practice. And I, I say this to, to, to my students all the time. I say, what is your practice of mm-hmm. sitting? What is your practice of introspection and reflection? What is the, how do you, how do you incorporate stillness and quiet in your life? Because at some point you're going to have to rest. I mean, there's, there's a spirituality to rest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and so Yes, I I find that, you know, encouraging our students that part of showing up means self-preservation, means rest, means introspection and self-reflection, means communion with the spirits. And we are here to provide the resources, the tools, the language, the framework for doing that in their everyday lives. You mentioned that you all will do the best that you can in a virtual setting. I know Sundays. There's that worship service. I think it's at 11 a.m. in Sisters Chapel. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, ma'am. It's going to be a little different this semester, but uh, what's your hope <laughs> that is. you all will be able to impart those words or any words of comfort for mm-hmm. for the Spelman community? So the Sunday morning piece has been a journey. Um, I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of churches and congregations have sort of been trying to recreate their in-person experience digitally, whereas what we are trying to do is to do something um, that actually mirrors our hope for our services. My hope for our services that are happening virtually, that are being pre-recorded and aired on Sunday mornings at 11, is that they will be an opportunity for our students to just breathe. Um, and to be able to spiritually recalibrate for the week that is ahead. And so what we are, what we are doing with our virtual worship is we are simplifying. It is not going to be as long. It is not going to have as many parts, um, but it will um, emphasize the points of, of, of rest and, and reflection and building your faith. And an important part of building your faith is thinking about who God is to you and and reflecting on who God is to you, affirming who God is to you, um, and, and, and talking boldly about who God is. Um, because we have to remember that that there is a God, that we're not alone in this, that we're not we're not just out here, we're not just out here struggling. That there is a God and our heritage and our and 
and, and, and what we believe our faith system says mm -hmm. that God is in the midst of us. And so I really just want to make that simple point to our students. And let me ask you this as we wrap up, Dr. Guidry, for those who may not belong to a particular religious, religious affiliation or who may not believe in a, in a higher being, but they, they rely on some type of spiritualness just in trying to get through this pandemic and, and, a, and a, a summer, as we keep hearing, a summer of protests and, and awakenings and reckonings. What can you offer to those individuals? I definitely think that um, something that spans across religious traditions and affiliations is an understanding that there is an invisible realm, that there is a spirit realm, that there is a spirit, a work, a force that is at work in, in us and around us. And I think that all of us have the ability, the innate ability to tap into that force, to tap into that spirit. But it doesn't happen when you are inundating yourself with a toxic news cycle. It doesn't happen when you're inundating yourself with noise or anything to distract you from it. It happens when you sit down somewhere and just be quiet. It happens when you take the time and you make the space in your life to practice something um, that that reminds you of of, 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 the, of the spirit, whether it's lighting a candle or burning some sage or some Palo Santo. Um, there, there's such a thing as, as ritual that we can all participate in to create and to cultivate a sense of the of the sacred in our everyday lives. And it breaks up your day. It, it, it provides a counter narrative for you to pay attention to. It provides a soft and, and, and a soft space of solace to sort of recalibrate your thoughts and, and to open up some heart space. But it also reminds you that you're not by yourself. Mm. And so I think ritual matters. I think, um, uh, I think solitude matters. I think that rest matters. I think that um, the intentional shifting of our focus, even if it is for one to five minutes a day, through meditation, through silence, through visualization, through affirmation, through reading scripture, through listening to an uplifting song, dancing, laughing, finding something pointless and hilarious to laugh at, these are all ways that we can keep our spirits up in these crazy times. In other words, it is okay to disconnect sometime and just put on a little Parliament Funkadelic and dance around the house with two cats. I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> I want to. I also want to venture to say it's not just okay, but it's necessary. All right, it's necessary. The Reverend Dr. Nichelle Guidry, Dean of Sisters Chapel and Director of the Wisdom Center at Spelman College. Thank you so much for being a part of today's conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Rose. I hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you for having me. And as we continue the conversation, we welcome Dima Muhammad Salah, the president of the Muslim Student Association at the University of Georgia. And Dima joins me now to talk about how the organization plans to conduct some of its usual prayer and social services for students. Dima, welcome. No problem. <laughs> how long have you been back on campus now? We started on Thursday, so just for like a few days. Yeah. What's it like? Um, it's very different. Yeah. Um, like campus is much more empty. I definitely miss back when Corona wasn't a thing. Yeah. Um, 
It's not as and bustling as a as it yeah, usually is. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of my friends went back home and subleased their place. Really? So, yeah. They're not coming back? A lot of them are coming back too, like just for this semester, they're subleasing it. Wow. Did you yeah. have any apprehensions about coming back? Uh no. I have labs, so <laughs> I knew I'd have to attend that. Mm. Were you wanting to come back on campus or did you think well maybe is there a way if they have just online only or it's kind of hard to do labs online only huh i did want to come back on campus because uh i wanted myself to get back into a schedule were you surprised that the university system as a whole decided to have students and faculty come back yeah and a lot of people definitely did complain i don't know what's going to happen and what their plan is Dima, are you seeing a lot of students wearing masks and faculty wearing masks? Yes. Students are supposed to wear their masks on campus, Mm -hmm. but I do see some students wearing it wrong, like not have their full (laughs) nose covered up. (laughs) What about social distancing? Are you seeing people? Oh, that's definitely, uh, there's definitely not six feet apart between each person. (laughs) Do you think they should have made the decision to allow faculty and students come back through your lens. I think they should have kept it online, but I don't know economically and all of that, like how it works, but, Mm -hmm. and I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I know that already there have been an increase in the COVID cases and I'm, I'm worried about catching COVID now. (laughs) Like I'm more worried being more at risk of it. Mm-hmm. makes you just more aware of it. Are you in a dorm, Dima, or you live off campus? No, I live off campus. Do you have roommates? Yes, I do. Have you all talked about uh, any concerns you have and what precautions um, are you all taking? Yeah, so we're definitely limiting the number of people each of us sees. It definitely impacts like the rest of us. We're definitely limiting the number of people that are allowed to come into our house. And for that, it's definitely a different year. In addition to your classes and all of that, you're also the leader of the Muslim Student Association. Let me ask you this. As the fall semester began, and obviously with COVID-19, have you all talked about whether or not this was going to hinder some of your usual activities and meetings? What, what's the approach you all going to take? So far, what we have planned is we do the our biweekly like lectures through Zoom. There are, of course, perks and cons in that. Um, like the perks would be getting speakers more easily because they wouldn't have to travel like they did in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, probably even cheaper for the club. But the cons are it's going to be much harder to get, especially the freshmen involved Mm. and getting everybody together yeah getting everybody together um for example we had a friday prayer friday congregation uh this past friday uh because i know some students have it really hard um making it to the mosque to the local mosque like 1 30 which is when the local mosque has friday congregation and other things so we always provide that to make it most feasible for the students and to also give students the opportunity to meet each other and interact. So this past Friday was very different from past years because um, in the past years, there would be a lot of people, like at least 20 people 
attending and that's this year we only had like six people attending mm. but also you have to adhere to those guidelines in terms of the maximum number of people that can be in a gathering as well so we we did a sign up and we used to, for prayer rugs we use disposable tablecloths to just throw those away after they use it um, and we ensured that each person was six feet apart from each other and everyone had to wear their masks of course and we checked the temperature for each person mm-hmm. and we limited the number of people to 20 even though we didn't need to because only what do you make of all this you know um campus um, life and how this intersects with also your spiritual beliefs and your faith what do you make of all this well okay as a so campus life is definitely very different and uh we're going to try to find the best ways to keep the msa um And like the Muslim students on campus have a strong foundation to go to when they need any help, like spiritually, um, like social wise and any questions they might have, even career wise or anything. It's been hard trying to figure out how we're going to do that. But spiritually, we are enjoined to pray five times a day. But going to Friday prayer also gets me, you know, like practicing Mm -hmm. Uh, my religion with a big community and that is going that is definitely different this year or this semester (laughs) and that's been helpful on today's program you know we're getting reflection from guests on how faith how spirituality is playing a role in all of this and helping them so Demon, let me ask you this as we wrap up what concerns do you have though just in terms of completing the school year it's your senior year Do you have any concerns in terms of your own health and safety throughout this next school year? I've been thinking more about like how things are going to be after this all ends, hopefully. Mm -hmm. For example, for my MSA, if that foundation will still be there for future freshman students. Mm -hmm. And I also am very curious and kind of nervous to find out how it's going to impact everyone overall, mm-hmm. like when it will all end. And the fact that this is definitely making it all longer, you know. We're all waiting to see. I think that's uh, what we're all waiting to see, what's going to be on the other side of this and then what life will be like for all of us when we get through this. Yeah. Dima Muhammad Salah is the president of the Muslim Student Association at the University of Georgia. She's a senior biology major. Dima, thank you so much for taking the time, sharing your thoughts. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate you listening. (laughs) Best of luck to you with those labs. (laughs) Thank you. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott, and our conversation continues with COVID-19, yes, disrupting the usual back-to-school activities at campuses across the country. That includes religious life at campus ministries. Now, we just heard from two campus leaders from two different faiths. We heard from Dima Muhammad Salah, the president of the Muslim Student Association at the University of Georgia, and also Reverend Dr. Nichelle Guidry, dean of Sisters Chapel and director of the Wisdom Center at Spelman College. They both shared how their religious communities are adapting. Muslims like stand close to each other, no gaps in between, but because of this, we 
maintain like a six feet gap and everyone had to wear their masks of course our work is intrinsically like high touch you know i think there's a part of us that's kind of operating from a space of yearning and longing to make those connections and so we're trying our best to utilize the technology to do that and now we turn to a different faith community to hear their perspective. Hillel's of Georgia, a student ministry that serves Jewish undergraduate and graduate students at colleges and universities all throughout the state. Well, join me now is the organization CEO, Elliot Karp. Mr. Karp, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Rose. We provided a basic definition of Hillel's of Georgia, but for our listeners who aren't familiar with your organization, give us a brief description, your vision and your mission. We view ourselves really as the Jewish community on our campuses across uh, the state. Uh, We represent more than two dozen Jewish student organizations, and we're here to uh, not only uh, tend to their spiritual needs and their cultural needs and their social needs, but also to help empower them so that they can make important contributions to the campus community and the broader community. And as Hillel's of Georgia, we have been in existence for several decades. The Hillel International Movement is now over 100 years old. And we like to think of ourselves as being all-encompassing. We're a big tent for the Jewish community. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, we, we don't pre-qualify. Uh, we, we have Jewish students that come to us out of spiritual need. They come because they like to socialize. They like our food. Whatever those <laughs> needs are, are we, we like to uh, try to accommodate them. So, Mr. Carp, let me ask you this. What types of events would y'all typically be hosting this time of year, I guess, for a normal back-to-school season? Normal back-to-school is is everything from personal one-on-one meetings with new students, freshman orientation, welcome week activities, as well as all of our returning students. There would be lots of social activities, networking activities. We would be having Shabbat services, the Jewish Sabbath on Friday night and Saturday with meals and and uh, prayer services um, we would be doing a lot of uh, activities uh, in terms of uh, athletics and sports and you know just as students come back to campus and, and trying to get back into the communal spirit meeting friends meeting new friends establishing relationships uh, as well as a, a whole host of community service projects uh, programs about Israel uh, recruiting for upcoming, uh, uh, conventions and trips to Israel and just a whole panoply of things that we offer. Having said all that, I will tell you that we haven't missed a beat. So almost everything that I've just mentioned to you, other than the food, uh-huh. uh, we've, we have pivoted to online. Although I must say that one of the things that we have done is we are actually providing gift cards now. We entice them and we say, look, if you agree to participate in this program, we're going to send you a gift card, buy yourself lunch, sit at your computer in your room, and join us for this program. Earlier we spoke to faith leaders at Spelman and UGA. Now your organization is different because you span across 24 campuses. But now here's the other thing too, with different back-to-school guidelines for some of these institutions, how are you all advising your student members, you know, who may have some issues or some challenges and need just a resource or just, hey, help me through this? So you, you, it's a really good question, and, it's, and it's, a, it's a great point, and it's, it's spot on. First and foremost, we operate within the boundaries that the universities on each campus establish because we're good community partners with them, mm-hmm. and, and we, we must operate that way. 
Secondly, I will tell you that I think that even beyond that, we tend to be a little bit more cautious and a lot more conservative when it comes to what we will allow and not allow. So for instance, in our buildings, uh, we won't allow more than 10 students at a time into a building. We mm -hmm. have all of our PPE, we have masks, we have hand sanitizers, we take temperatures. We're very, very concerned. Um, but to get to the essence of your question, look, this is already a generation of students that has the highest incidence of mental health issues, uh, addictions, and suicide pre the pandemic. Mm. So now you have COVID-19 with all of the anxiety production that it is creating and generating, and you have students that are really, you know, stressed out and for good reasons. So one of the reasons that's one of the reasons why we believe it's so important to continue to maintain personal contact and we're doing that by meeting with them responsibly one-on-one -on -one, but also with telephone check-ins more frequently more regularly and preparing our staff to be more in tune we're providing in-service training for our staff so that they can recognize issues of mental health triggers and anxiety mm -hmm. and stress so that we can refer students more effectively to seek the kind of help that hopefully they they, they will get. Um, but like one of your guests said, I mean, we're in the high touch business um, and we're not used to not being able to give our students hugs, you know, and welcome, you know, uh, you know, we're giving a lot of elbow bumps and a lot of fist bumps and a lot of uh, online chat. But, you know, what we like to say is we're back in business. It's just not business as usual. Mm, you know, back to school the school year also lands around the same as some jewish high holidays that might be challenging for some students who may not be able to turn home due to the coronavirus how are you all reaching out to them yeah again under normal circumstances we would be holding high holiday services for rosh hashanah the jewish new year and yom kippur the day of atonement you know in our facilities um, we are doing all of that virtually and online um, we are actually reaching out and making sure that students know uh, that they can still participate uh, in our services, that there still is a sense of community. We're working with universities to try to figure out, can we do something socially distanced responsibly outdoors, not indoors? Mm -hmm. um, one of the big call marks of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is hearing the shofar, the ram's horn that's blown. And so, you know, we're working with campuses to see whether or not we can have an abbreviated service that would bring students together so they can stand socially distanced. Whoever blows the shofar will be apart from them. We'll have plexiglass because we don't want it spreading any potential germs and, and what have you. Um, but just and that's the holidays. But every Friday night and sa to Saturday night is the Jewish Sabbath. And we're used to here, I'm sitting in our offices at the Marcus Hillo Center in Emory University. We're used to having anywhere from 60 to 80 students for Friday night Shabbat dinner. Hmm. Uh, we're not doing that right now. But yeah. what we are providing is every Friday we have what we call Shabbat in a box. So it's a prepackaged meal and it's walk up and we get to say hello. Hey, how are you doing? Here's your meal. Now go back to your dorm room, go back to your apartment, enjoy a Shabbat meal with your roommates and your housemates. You just can't have it here at Hillel because we can't and we don't want to mm -hmm. congregate. We don't want that happening. Right now in our nation, and I've been having this conversation I, I, pretty much every day when you think about the pandemic and then the protests, and then it's a political season as well. Combine all of that. And then also just the daily normal, we could call it stresses of going to college, 
Have you had conversations with students already or even faculty members who are really having a hard time with all of this? And what do you offer at the intersection of your faith for those folks when they come to you all? It's a very important question. And what we are finding, and I think we've been pleasantly surprised about this, is that many more students who perhaps would not avail themselves of coming to Hillel are actually coming to us because what they're saying is right now, given everything that you described between the pandemic, between uh, racial tensions in our country, uh, between the political season, they're looking for community. They're looking for one another. Whereas before they may have said, hey, you know what, I'm pretty independent. I'm pretty autonomous. You know, I really don't need the help of anyone else. What we're finding is more students than ever before are saying, hey, how can you help me? Or I'm looking for a friend or, you know, I'd like to connect with other people. And even though it's not possible to bring groups of students together, we're doing that one on one and we're doing it in those kinds of conversations. So I I have the point of view, quite honestly, that when we come out on the other side of this pandemic and we will uh, hopefully sooner rather than later, I believe that organizations like Hillel and other faith groups are going to be well positioned to capitalize on what I believe is a new feeling in this generation of care and concern and compassion, because people now realize what they're missing in their lives. Hmm. And And we're going to be committed to making sure that we carry that forward. Well, let me ask you this as we wrap up as a faith leader, then how are you? managing through all of this? That's another really good question. Um, I'm inspired by the students that we serve. They are so bright, they are so intelligent, and they are so passionate about wanting to make a difference. And that, you know, when, when I have those times where I say, hey, I've had enough of this pandemic, I've had enough of the polarity in, in, our, in our society and in our, in our nation, and I look at these young people and I listen to them, and their hopes and their aspirations. And I say, you know what, that lifts me up because that tells me what we're doing is important to help them, to empower them. That's what Hillel's all about. At Hillel, my staff and I, we're not the ones that are the progenitors of our programs and activities. We're about empowering our students. They're the ones that say, hey, can we do something about this? And a perfect example, we had students here at Emory University that said, you know what, we're concerned about what's taking place in the nation about racial equity, and and they created a social justice program, and they're actually raising money as Jewish students at Hillel for Black community organizations serving uh, those that are in need within the Black community here in Atlanta. And that came from them. And our job is to help them, to empower them, to guide them, and use it as a leadership training that says, you know what, uh, in the Jewish faith, we have a we have a phrase. It's called tikkun olam. It's the Hebrew, and it means repair the world. Hmm. Now, it doesn't say repair the Jewish world. It says repair the world. Okay. Hmm. And so, when the students come to us, we go, yes, that's our value. Repair the world. Our world is hurting right now, and if you want to help improve it and repair it, we're here to 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 support you in that. So. Uh, like I said, you know, I, I'm inspired every day, you know, so when I get those dark moments, like everyone, I just look at them and say, yeah, this is why I'm doing what I do and why my colleagues and the staff do it. And most importantly, it's why the students do it. 
Hillel's of Georgia, a student ministry that serves Jewish undergraduate and graduate students at colleges and universities throughout the state. Elliot Karp is the organization's CEO. Thank you for taking the time, Elliot. Good way to end today's conversations. Well, thank you, and thank you for having me on your show. That's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Shelly Canavy. If you missed any of today's program, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, you can listen to Closer Look weeknights at 8 p.m. And listen whenever you want, because Closer Look is now available as a podcast. Just visit NPR One or your favorite streaming app and subscribe. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.